Page 690? Thank you. Page 690 in the blue Bible. And in the white Bible, uh, page 15 or 16, I think. 16? So it be Matthew 12, verse uh, 38. Title of the message is Responsibility. That's always a really fun topic. Responsibility. But we're going to break that out and see what that looks like. Uh, before I do that, though, um, I wanted to sh- just say a couple of things about this, uh, this big day we have coming up on Tuesday. We have a big day coming up on Tuesday. We've got elections going on. We have an opportunity to vote. We have candidates. We have decisions. And so I just wanted to... Uh, I'm going to tell you who to vote for. No, I'm not gonna, not gonna tell you who to vote for. In fact, I can't do that. That's like that's uh, actually illegal. I could get in trouble for that. Um, which you know, I don't mind getting in trouble if it's for the right reasons. Um, but th- that's not the right reason. So, uh, but I just wanted to share just a couple things, just based on voting and elections. Um, in Psalm 33:12, says, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord." The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's kind of setting the ground here. Like, blessed is that nation that puts God as Lord, as a center. Jehovah God, right at the center. Boom, that's it. That matters and that's important. And that's kind of our goal. Now... There isn't another party on the ballot called like the Kingdom Party that we can vote for. That, that's not really there. And it's a struggle and it's difficult because I think more or less there's three things we have to balance and bring to the table and come to terms with when it comes to voting. Our right to vote, that's something we got to consider and think about. Because that was expensive and it cost a lot for a lot of people. That was a real sacrifice. And to blow that off and just like say whatever, I don't really know as a Christian if that's being a good steward with the privilege and responsibility that we have. So that right to vote thing matters. And then we have the reality. The reality is how much is my vote really going to count? Because that's another question we want to think about. Like how much is this vote going to count? This state is known to go a certain way for presidential elections. But at the state and local levels, like who knows, you know, really what could happen. So we have to think about that reality. Here's the other reality too, which is interesting. Is that this race right now, at least between the two parties, which I'll talk about more about that in one second, but at least between the two main parties, it's neck and neck. If this thing breaks down to... A 269-269 electoral vote tie. What happens? The best looking guy gets to be president. No, that's not what happens, the best looking guy. I mean, one has great teeth and one has great hair. So, like, what do you, you know, so you, you morph them together? So what happens is the House picks the Senate. And if they go strictly bipartisan, they're going to pick their guy. Um, the, I'm sorry, the House... Yeah, the House is going to pick the President and the Senate would pick the Vice President. And they go a certain way and so if their guy gets in and they stay partisan they're going to go with their guy. And so we could actually have a mix. But then like you got to think too 
if you're in, let's say, the House, and your guy got outvoted, but you want to stay partisan, you're going to catch a ton of heat. So all of a sudden, your vote that maybe did not count so much, that popular vote might matter a little bit more now. At least carries a little bit more weight. Because you don't want to be part of that Congress that was like, I ignored the popular vote, and I just went with our party lines. That's not a real good look either. So it matters like a little bit more. So we have the right to vote we got to think about. The reality of what's actually going on here. And then kingdom values. These are like the three. Our right to vote, the reality, and then kingdom values. Because if we want, it says, blessed is the nation as God is the Lord. At the end of the day, we want to vote for the candidate that we believe, based on research and education, that we believe best upholds the values of the kingdom. If we have absolutely no understanding of any of that, I don't really know if we're really being a good steward or shining real bright. In fact, we're just kind of like everybody else. And when we're Christians, we've got to be above reproach and shine bright and at least kind of have a clue as to what's going on. I mean, you really have four total choices for president. You got the Democrat selection, you got the Republican selection, you got the Green Tea selection, you got the Libertarian selection. You should know who these people are because there's some very interesting things going on with these four people. And then now we got a balance. Okay, to vote, what's the reality? What kind of shot do they have? What are their values like? And you got to see like which one works for you. And kingdom values, you got to think about things. We have to think about life. We have to think about marriage. We have to think about how we're going to provide for people that need help. Like These are all things that matter. We want to know where they stand, for sure. So I want to say a lot more, but I'm not going to because I shouldn't. But I just want to put into perspective that we should really be good stewards. We, we have like a privilege to be able to vote the way we can in our country. And a lot was paid for it. And it's certainly not going to work out. Uh, there's no perfect candidate, that's for sure. But I think that we should bring some education to the table. And at least have a bright light and be able to share you know, why we're voting, what we're voting. But I would think about those three things for sure. Right to vote. Everybody say right to vote. The reality, reality and kingdom values. Like balance all that out as you're kind of researching these people. It's going to be very interesting. Actually, I think when you dig a little bit, you're like, wow, I had no idea, you know. Be interesting. So what does that have to do with our message today? Well, it actually ties in a little bit, believe it or not. It does tie in to Jesus yelling at the same group still, going after them. It ties in a little bit. So the title of the message is Responsibility. Now, I wanted to start off with this. Um, by the time the week is over, by the time one day is over, I'm not sure about you, but for me, uh, personally, I am just totally drained by a day's end. Like, I've spent, you know, everything. It's just... It's gone out there, you know, and then you have to, you know, try and come home and, like, save some of the good stuff for, you know, your family and, and invest in them and try and give them your best, you know, and that's what we got to lean into God. So, supernaturally, He can help us out with that. 
and give us what we need to give to whoever is around us. So, one of the most draining parts for me on a daily basis, it might be different for other people, it might be their commute to work, um, it might be the people that are around them and the kind of attitudes that they have. Um, who knows what it might be? But for me, and you might relate to this too, um, the draining part for me is excuses. It's just a day filled and filled and filled with excuses. I'm dealing with teenagers all day. It's just excuses. And it's even worse if you've got adults and they've got excuses all day long. Because there's just more crap to wade through to try and get to actually what's going on. Excuses are incredibly, incredibly draining. And as adults, unfortunately, we get better with it. It's kind of like this icon up here. Um, some speeding ticket excuses. You know, one excuse is, I was on my way to bring you donuts. You know? I was racing home to watch cops. Maybe that'll get on their good side. I thought you wanted to race. You know, I don't know how, how that goes over well. Um, but, you know, excuses comes really easily and naturally. And it could very easily and naturally kind of creep in also like spiritually. It could definitely do that because it just comes so easily. So I want to talk about just excuses and reasons because there's that fine line there and we want to like be able to be like, hey, we give good reasons. Or I thought I gave good reasons, but I guess there are just a lot of excuses. We want to be better at that. And why do we want to be better at that? And how could that help us? And how does that even matter? So I just want to talk just a couple minutes about that. Um, if you had to try and get the difference between excuses and reasons. Reasons, I, I guess if we had to boil this down, real easy layman's terms. Uh, reasons are like the real or the actual stuff. And then, you know, excuses would be the fake, right? So the excuses... Well, let's, we'll start off, yeah, with the reasons. We'll start with the reasons. The reasons are actually the rational, and I put that in quotes, rational. Because who's saying this makes sense? Because you could say that's an excuse, and I could say it's a reason, and who's going to win that? Whoever yells louder? I hope it doesn't get to that spot, right? So the rational expression is going to be the reason, right? The rational explanations for thinking or doing a certain thing. That's kind of the reasons. There's some sort of rational thought behind it. Now, the excuses are really similar, right? They're disguised as reasons. Sometimes referred to as the skin of reason stuffed with a lie. How many people have had pepperoni before? Right? You get, the case, you get it, it's got that thin casing on there. Right? Some people like to eat the casing, some people don't like to eat the casing. I don't like to eat it. But that thin casing that's on there, like with an excuse, like that thin casing, that's the truth part. And then on the inside is all like the nitrates and the stuff. and It tastes awesome, right? But all that stuff is in there. That's like the excuse. It's just kind of filled with stuff that's bad, that tastes great, right? But just that thin layer of skin, is, there's a little bit of truth there, and then you fill it with all this kind of nonsense, and usually when we're doing it, we really know all the nonsense that's going in there. And for the other person, they've got to try and figure out all that nonsense that's in there. All those nitrates and bad stuff that's for you. 
Excuses usually happens when we're trying to convince ourselves of something. We're trying to convince ourselves of something. And right, excuses usually happens when we didn't get something done or we were really slow in getting it done. Right? That, that's usually what it boils down to. Usually we didn't get something done, we didn't really know about it, or really slow in getting it done. Or it didn't really get done right. Benjamin Franklin said, He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Pretty accurate. So let me give you a top five list. I have two top five lists and then we'll move on. One top five list I have is for the excuse mentality. So this maybe will be helpful for you um, to identify when we're making excuses. Um, so top five list of excuse mentality. Number one is you always get a laundry list when you deal with these people. Something comes up, an issue comes up, and you want to address it and look at it and talk about it, and they, you just get a laundry list of just stuff. And you're like, yes, but what about this? You know, they just keep going. It's just continuing. And it's every time. It's not once in a while. You just get this long, drawn-out, laundry list about all kinds of things. So that's one way you can tell if you've got an excuse mentality. You're always, you're always equipped with a laundry list. Number two is you just want to get somebody off your back. You just tell them whatever, just to get them off of your back. I just don't feel like dealing with it. Just give them an excuse. Get them out of here. How about an apology is attached with a but? That's somebody likes to give excuses, right? They don't really want to give the whole apology and really own all of it. They'd rather put that but in there and all the other stuff. And so it just it takes away from the apology, right? Not helpful. They rationalize their own laziness. Ouch. I got one of those right now. I got this thing in the mail. I got to get my missions done. And uh, yeah, I'm making excuses. Yep, I'm making excuses. I don't have time. I can't get there. Uh, and, I, and in all honesty, it's just annoying and I don't want to make part of it you know, in my day for right now. So I got to get that done. Now I really got to get it done, right? Because I don't want to pay anything extra. But, they rationalize their own laziness. And here's the last one, which is really interesting. The excuse mentality is people sometimes have low self-esteem. They can't handle the truth that hurts. So if they don't really feel that good about themselves, and maybe when they're addressed when something that's the truth, and that it hurts, and they didn't even mean to do it intentionally can't even handle that because they already feel bad about themselves. So why would they want to hear more truth? Maybe that makes them feel bad. So that's something to consider as well. So now let's look at the reason mentality. The reason mentality is they're aware that mistakes might happen. Mistakes mean unintentional. Right? Mistakes are just going to happen. We're just going to mess up and just do things. And so that's just kind of part of life. I don't think that I'm going to be perfect. And so I'm not going to try and fight tooth and nail to try and act like that I am. Right? So that's kind of what that mentality looks like. Admission usually comes first. Totally disarming when we can just come out with an admission first. I got in a car accident on Prospect. I remember 68 a few years ago. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. but I, Oh, I was uh, actually house hunting. And so... Um, go up 68 here and then you can eventually basically take a left and go into prospect and you can take a right um, and uh, head down because uh, 
Yes, 69 is right up there too. And I thought, <coughs> clueless, I thought I was in a different place. And so I was like, oh, I don't want to go left. I want to go right. I'm in the left lane. It's like, oh, I want, to, I want to go right. So I'm in the left lane. I look at my rear view. I didn't see anybody. I was like, eh, I'll just shoot over real quick. I come over. Boom! Got smashed. Guy gets out of the car. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to hear it from this guy. He comes out of the car just swearing, irate. I'm like, I know. I messed up. I'm totally sorry. I, stupid, stupid. And he's like, he didn't even know what to do after that. He was just about to explode. All right, all right. You know, and then he's walking and pacing, and then, you know, he just calmed down. I just had to own it. You know, it was just totally stupid. I could have made excuses. Man. Oh, I thought I was here and there, and I, I looked, and it was just a dumb thing to do, right? It was just stupid. I got a lot of stupid stuff. But they have confidence. So another mentality is they have confidence in who they are and expect themselves not to be perfect. That's a really freeing thing if somebody can really own up to that and have that as a part of themselves. Have confidence in who I am. I'm not going to be perfect. And that last one there says they are able to rationally articulate doing their best and being honest Oh, I'm sorry. They are able to rationally uh, articulate. So, when things actually do happen, they could actually give reasons. Rational, with the quotes. Uh, You know, it wasn't that I didn't take the garbage out because I was playing video games, you know. It was because I was doing this, this, and this, and the other things, you know, laying them out. Okay, I can understand now. You know, like laying it out, being able to clearly articulate it. And if we get on the defensive real quick, you know, you can't even get there. And then the best, uh, number one reason for having this reason mentality is that if we could just try and do our best and be honest and have those as priorities, that really just saves us a lot of strife without having to make excuses. Just trying to do your best and be honest. You're not really going to try and hide behind too many things because you want the truth of the situation to come out. Whether that makes you look good or that doesn't make you look so good doesn't really matter. Now, some benefits of getting away from that excuser lifestyle. People appreciate it so much more. You're going to get lower stress. You have more confidence and we're just going to shine brightly. So we want to strive towards like having legitimate reasons for things. And what we've been learning and studying through this passage is that these religious leaders, they were experts at making excuses. They did not want to accept who Jesus was. And it was obvious that He was there and among them and walking with them. But they just had a ton of excuses. They had that skin, that lie, that layer on the outside, filled with all kinds of crap on the inside. That's what they had. They were unsure and uncertain But on the inside, that stuffing part, they hated the guy. They were jealous of the guy. They wanted to weigh other people down with making them feel guilty. And that's what the real deal was. But they tried to hide behind this sort of religious uh, superiority kind of complex. It was a bad deal. And so we pick up, closing up chapter 12 here, this morning. And we're going to take a look at 
some more of their really lame excuses and how Jesus really comes and uh, hits them with one reason uh, why He's not going to do something. So I want you to think about one question as we do this. As we take a look at the passage and what we talk about today and we'll close up with it. How much do excuses and reasons matter when they relate to our relationship with Christ? It's an important question. How much do excuses and reasons matter when they relate to our relationship with Christ? How much does it matter? Think about it. People have different backgrounds. They're coming from different places. Different things are happening. Some people have some really strong reasons as far as why they're going to fight back with God. But like, how does God handle that? Some people would choose to hide behind a lot of excuses with God. How does He handle that? So think about that as we go through what we're talking about. Because, like we said last week in Matthew 12, it says, But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. That's going to happen at the end. We're all going to stand before God. And like, are we going to be filled with excuses or reasons? And what do we got? Something we got to think about. Definitely have to think about. So, let's take a look at our passage. And we're going to pull out two observations. So in verse 38, we finally get there. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. There's our fish story. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. And then he kind of like changes gears here. It says, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds a house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. So we're going to take a look at two observations from this today. Which, they almost seem kind of disjointed at the end there, where Satan starts talking about like this evil thing, and starts to leave, and something else comes in. But he starts off, with the wicked and adulterous nation, you're asking for a sign. And then he comes back at them, he says, listen, I'm going to give you one sign. And we got to think, Jesus has been doing a lot of stuff, so it's like, what's, what are they thinking about? What's going on? So he comes back and says, listen, you're going to get one sign. And that one sign is, I'm going to die and rise again. Just like our fish story of Jonah. It's pretty interesting that he refers back to that. Most people got a problem with the Bible, where they have questions about it. They'll have to go back to the garden. You know, do you really believe there was a snake that was talking? And that there was fruit? 
Uh, yeah, that sounds, yes, I do. You know, but people like to hammer that one because it just sounds ridiculous. Yeah, I do. Do you really think there was a big fish that ate a guy and then he was in his belly for three days? And when they say it like that, it's obvious. They're trying to paint a point. It's just so ridiculous. God can't do it. Difference is, the God that I'm thinking of, why can't he do it? Depends like on the God that you're thinking of. You just have the God that just kind of makes sense. Or the one that could just literally do anything at any time, all the time. Depends what kind of God we're talking about here. So, he says, you know what? I'm going to die. I'm going to be in the belly of the earth. Which is pretty interesting. What is that all about? He says, I'm going to die. Be in the earth three days. I'm going to rise again. And he says, you know what? You guys are in trouble. Because there was this other nation a long time ago to the left in the Bible, a few pages back, a lot of pages back, with this generation of people called the Ninevites, and they were just living bad, living wrong, even killing, you know, Jews, and it was just bad news. So God said, hey, go there. Tell them they need to repent. And then, you know, they could turn to me and be saved. And he's, Jonah's like, uh, you know, that's crazy. They're killing our own countrymen. I hate them. I don't want to go help them. Why would I want to help them get into heaven? What sense does that make? God says, well, hey, listen, man. It's on the table. That's what I'm asking you to do. It's up to you. It's your call. And uh, obviously he doesn't do it. Gets eaten up by the fish. And the fish is like, oh, God, you know, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. I repent. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. The fish spits him out. He goes back to this nation of people. And his message, it wasn't like nice with applications and helpful, it was really just, here's how bad you are. Not like in what you can do to change and what would be helpful. It was just fire and brimstone like to the max. Just bad news. And it says that they just repented. And Jesus saying, listen, I, Jesus, am actually here with you right now. Like I'm here talking with you. You're seeing all of it. So at the end, those Ninevites, they're going to make you look really bad. Because I'm actually here with you right now. So he's just like, that's the sign that you're going to get. And then he closes up by describing what that generation is like. So two observations today. Here's one filling in your bulletin there. It says, Christ is always ready to hear and address holy desires and prayers. Christ is always ready to hear and address holy desires and prayers. Jesus started off by saying, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. So I think the immediate question is, what does that, you know, if we ask God for signs, like, is that a bad thing? Should we not be asking God for signs? Like, does that mean that we would be wicked and sinful? Is that bad? And I think that's a legitimate thing to ask. And I would say, no. We should ask God for signs. So how does that gel? How does it make sense of what we just read? Well, Christ is always ready to hear and address holy desires and prayers. Well, the, really, the question is, what makes it holy and what doesn't? What's like an excuse and what's a reason? Jesus is not in the business of prove yourself again or do it this way or do that or do that and... You know, I'll make a decision if that's right or wrong or not. He's not into that. 
He's into it with people crying out and saying, God, I just don't know. And so, or I need you to heal or interact in this way. Or, God, I need you. That's totally different than, yeah, I don't know. You do that, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's not the way that he works. In Judges 6, it depicts a really good story, perfect story, to explain how God works with signs and how it's okay. There's a guy named Gideon, and you might have heard of him. Gideon, basically the least in his family, and basically the deal was, God said, hey listen, go lead my people. Number one is, get these like idolatry stuff out of their lives, get rid of that, and then lead them in the battle. And uh, you're going to be outnumbered, you know, like 10 to 1. But just go, because I'll be with you. Gideon's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, you know, I hear all these stories about how you used to do things in the Exodus and set us free. I hear about these stories of signs and wonders. He's like, I haven't seen any of that. He said, I don't even know where that even is. And you're asking me just to, like, to trust you and do this. And he says, give me a sign. In that case, it's okay. Because he just really doesn't know where God is, where he's at, and he has an honest doubts within him. That's really encouraging to know that God welcomes that. They wouldn't have to play like a phony part and act like, you know, we don't have any. We can come to God honestly. And so he says, so God says back to him, he says, okay, listen, uh, give me a sacrifice. I'm going to show you uh, what I'm capable of. So basically he makes up a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. He gets the required things together and God just drops fire on it like out of nowhere. He's like, whoa. He's like, wow, I guess. Like, you're going to be with me. And so what happens is then Gideon goes into town. He starts tearing down. They, had, they basically made these altars. That was idolatry. He goes into town, he starts tearing them down. Chopping them down, taking them down. And he did it at night because he was scared. You know, he, he was still nervous. Even though God just did that, he was still kind of scared of everybody. So he gets into town, tears it all down. He catches a lot of heat, obviously. Uh, and then he's like, God, uh, I don't know about this whole leading the army thing now. He's like, I know that was kind of on the list, but I don't know if I could do that. He said, this is getting hot. You know, this is getting heavy right now. And... He says, you know, it's, I need you know, another sign. He said, I want to put this fleece out. And that's where people get this idea of fleecing God. Right, fleecing God. So he puts the fleece out. He says, hey, listen, if I wake up in the morning uh, and there's dew just on the fleece and the ground's totally dry around it, it's like, okay, I think, I think you're with me. I'm on board. I'm going to be encouraged. And so it happens. And then Gideon's like, I know. I know I'm probably wearing, wearing you out here, but I just need one more. Like, just give me one more. Like, isn't it good to know that God is like, He bears with us when there's this honest, pure, holy desires. He's not into the fake nonsense stuffed into the pepperoni. Like, He doesn't care. Like, doesn't matter. He's into the honest, pure stuff. So, He says, God, uh, last sign, He said, Hey, listen, the whole fleece thing, He said, You know what? Um, do the opposite of what you did last time. So make the ground around it wet, make that dry. And he does. Boom. And then they go. Then they go. But a perfect story of a man, confused, uncertain, not sure, coming to God, asking for a sign. 
totally legit, completely fine. Because his heart was totally enmeshed in it and he was into it. Sometimes it just takes a lot for us just to get to that point. Sometimes almost everything around us has to like fall down and go away. And that hurts. But God knows that, hey, when you get to that point, then we'll really start to get to some of these things. Or like a lot of people, we could just sweep it away for a while and sweep it away and sweep it away. Now it says in John 14, 12. Let me show you this verse. It's an amazing verse. And I don't know how much you actually believe in it. I'm curious. But I know my faith is just growing in this more each day. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. That's heavy words for Jesus to say that whoever believes in Him, the works that Jesus was doing, whoever believes in Him is going to do them also even greater than that. Even greater than that. What I pray for, I'm going to tell you what I pray for, even like just regarding this church, just so you know how crazy I am. So I pray like for people in this church and for when God brings more people to the church. I pray that literally His kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven through His people. In other words, I pray and I ask and I plead God to have the gifts that are in each one of you. Even supernatural at times. I completely believe it that there could be healers sitting in our midst. I completely believe that there could be people who talk to God in tongues and there could be other people that interpret that. I completely believe that because I don't think it ended with Jesus. He said that, listen, whoever believes in me is going to be able to do this. And you know, I printed off like just a ton of stories of just around the world where it happens. Unfortunately, I don't know, fortunately, fortunately, whatever, it happens in places where people really have nothing else left. And there you hear these stories, and that's what I printed off, just stories of people that were actually taken over by beings, could not control themselves. And then someone would come, not somebody who went to seminary, not somebody who was extremely well educated, Somebody who was firm and had belief in Christ, saw a need, felt compelled, and reacted. And God did the rest. So you see somebody that can't even handle themselves, and they come, and they pray in Jesus' name, and now this person can now not hurt themselves anymore, not convulse at the mouth, not just have seizures just for no reason, just really strange behaviors. And they're completely free. I absolutely believe that that could happen amongst us. And I ask God for it. I don't just believe it. I'm asking, like, when are we doing this thing? Like, let's bring it together and see this thing happening. I'll tell you again how nuts I am. So at school, uh, I just tell you, so one kid at school just got this disease, man. And he's just, uh, my heart just breaks for him. And it started when he was, uh, uh, 17 months old. 
And I'm not going to tell you, it's, it's all record and everything. It's not really important. And you don't really need to know that. And especially, you know, this stuff goes online. So it's just, there's no place for it. But what you need to know is uh, that my prayer, and we'll see where it goes, but I continue to pray for God to somehow, some way, use me to help heal this kid. Restore this kid back. Because he is hurting big time. It's just physically, just a lot of things going on. And I just got this like burden and just this pressure and this thing in me that's just like, man, you got to go pray for him. And of course, on the other end, it's like, all right, like I'm his teacher. How's that going to work out? Uh, you know, it's Catholic school. How's that going to work out? Uh, in the back of your mind, you know, you get to think, you know, what if something happens? You don't want to devastate this kid either. But I think that we have to go forward and move on to that because Jesus is going to work through us to do impossible things if we choose to live in that life. If we don't choose to, don't know how many of those doors really be open, we can certainly get victory in other ways in our lives and over other things. But to actually see some supernatural things take place. I think it would be weird to have a church like be around for 100, 200 years, take place, take root, be around, and like never ever once hear of like some miraculous work of God. Like, what? That, that's strange to me. That would be strange. So, yes, I am crazy, and that's what I pray for, and that's what I'm going for. So I don't know if you're on board with me, but I'm just like giving you a heads up. For, hey, yeah, but that's where I'm coming from anyways. That's where I'm coming from anyways. So I want you to know that. Because that's important for you to know that. Because I'm going to be directed that way. And I'm going to ask God to like lead us down that path. And that might get uncomfortable sometimes. And it might look weird sometimes. That's for sure. It probably could definitely look weird sometimes. But I'm willing to take that venture of being uncomfortable and uh, looking weird to have maybe the power of God come down and say, boom, see, God is real. He is active. Just give it to Him. There's stuff going way beyond our side of our control. And here in America, we just see what we see, man. There's this whole other life. And that's what these guys are saying. Hey, listen, give me another sign. Just like, I've been doing signs. Like, how? No. You know, I'm done with that. This is just an excuse right now. So that was the first observation. Christ is always ready to hear and address holy desires and prayers. And I hope you're giving Him your holy desires and prayers. Second observation. When we make a decision to clean house, make sure you fill it with good tenants. When you make a decision to clean house, make sure you fill it with good tenants. This is that kind of like strange part at the end where Jesus is talking about an evil spirit coming out of a man, goes to weird places, seeking rest, doesn't find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left, and when it comes, he'll find it sweeped up, unoccupied. And when he goes back, he brings seven other of his friends. They go in and live there, and that condition is worse. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, he's using an illustration of kind of the way demon possession works sometimes, where very rarely um, is there, quote-unquote, you know, one demon, one spirit living in someone. It's usually multiple numbers. And 
if they were to leave and go, sometimes they come back and sometimes they bring friends. And you're saying, hey, listen, that's the way it happens sometimes. And actually one of the stories in here is actually about that. And that's why I printed one of those out. Um, so he's used that as illustrations. Hey, listen, when that happens, that's kind of similar to you guys. He said, listen, you guys as a nation, as Israel, you did a good job getting rid of all that idolatry stuff and setting up all these altars. And he's like, that's all gone. He's like, that's pretty good. He said, but you got to be experts at making the outside look really good. And on the inside, it's just as empty and gross and bad stuff is coming in there. Like hypocrisy and this appearance of being pleasing before God and not actually really being there. And that's what he's referring to. So the question for us to think about is what kind of tendons have moved into our space? Right? What kind of tenants do we have moved in living in our space? That's really the question. Like, what kind of tenants do I have living really inside of me? You know? Is it that selfishness uh, that really takes domain in my life and what I want? Or is insecurity there taking dominance because I'm just afraid of whatever, whatever it might be? Fear of man, fear of situations, whatever it is. What really takes dominance? What kind of tenants are living there? Are they good tenants or bad, bad tenants? They might be paying the bills on time, but they might be breaking the walls, kicking down the countertops, ripping off the cabinets. Like, it could be just be a mess in there. Jesus, maybe for some of us, has moved in, has become the tenant. I hope his view looks pretty good. We hope his view looks pretty good. Because he's going to try and rearrange some things too. And he's going to fix some things. And that could be painful too. And so the question is for us, you know, are we going to have enough courage? Are we going to let him do it? So back to that question that we did at the beginning. We're going to take uh, communion and close up here. How much do excuses and reasons matter in our relationship to Christ? I think it depends. It depends. Right? It depends. At the end of the day, we're going to have to give an account. But I don't think God's going to deal with me the same way He's going to deal with some family in India in the middle of nowhere. But He is going to be fair. That's for sure. No doubt about it. And I can also tell you that we're in America. This is land of a lot, of plenty of abundance. We got stuff everywhere. And we have Bible stuff everywhere. We got pastors everywhere. And we got this everywhere. We're going to be responsible for a good amount. We've been given a lot. Have a lot of privileges. We're going to be responsible for a lot. So the question is going to be, you know, what did we do with it? So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. Um... We're going to uh, play a song. I'll pass it out. And then hold on to it. And, and then we'll, uh, we'll take it together. So uh, 